This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. The legends are true! But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny! Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Thursday, February 8th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, uh, we're going to be talking about the films of Diablo Cody. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. Okay, BJ, Diablo Cody is back in theaters, probably as people are listening to this. Uh, she wrote the screenplay for Lisa Frankenstein, which is a new movie that's out. Um, and we'll talk more in depth about that movie tomorrow. I think the plan is to have a spoiler conversation about that. Uh, we're not really going to include that movie in today's ranking, but I thought we could go through the other movies that Diablo Cody wrote and yeah, just talk about those and, and kind of try to put together at least a loose ranking. This is just like a, a snapshot in time type of situation. Maybe not quite like the definitive thing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. opinions change over time. You know, anyway, this will be just be like our snapshot for how we're feeling about her work right now. Um, what do you think about Diablo Cody as a, as an auteur almost? Oh, Diablo Cody is like my screenwriter. She is the screenwriter that I got really into as a a teenager and had this aha moment of, oh, I can write movies like this. This is somebody who speaks to a lot of my sensibilities. And she really opened doors for me in terms of what was possible to write about in movies. Um, I love her work. Um, All of these movies that we're going to talk about today are in my personal rankings as like at lowest, like an eight out of 10. Um, I really love the voice that she brings to her characters, to the stories. Um, I also love Diablo Cody teen speak, which we'll definitely get into. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she's, I think she's great. And I'm very glad that people are finally starting to really realize that Juno was not a fluke um, and that she is one of the most brilliant screenwriters working today. So you mentioned Juno. She came right out of the gate uh, that Juno was her first produced screenplay and she won an Oscar for writing that movie. And I would say that she had like a a supersonic rise to fame. Uh, Juno came out in 2007 and I just remember her being everywhere. And like she was like the hottest screenwriter in Hollywood basically overnight, which is... um, 
something that seems very rare, especially these days. Uh, what do you remember about like the the way that she sort of burst on the scene and and sort of those early days of like the phenomenon of Diablo Cody as a, a public persona? So Juno was a huge deal for me because I was a junior in high school when Juno came out. So I was peak age to fall in love with a lot of the films that would come out of this time period that I like to call the studio indie boom. And the fact that Diablo Cody as a screenwriter was getting so much attention was shocking because you're totally right. Directors and actors, yeah, those are people that are often like these front facing figures that we know who they are. We know what they look like. Diablo Cody was on that same level, but as a screenwriter, which is kind of unheard of. And I think it's because Juno was so fresh. Like, not only is the story just genuinely really wonderful, but a lot of the dialogue sounded unlike anything that we had seen in a very long time. And then you have actors like Elliot Page and Michael Sarah who have such a fantastic grasp on the dialogue because Diablo Cody dialogue is not easy, but if you can make it sound like it is lived in, it is such brilliant writing. And so Juno really was this like lightning in a bottle that Hollywood tried to continue to capture where they were looking for people to be like Diablo Cody, but you can't be Diablo Cody. She is such mm-hmm. a one in a million voice. Um, but I loved this movie when it came out. I've revisited it um, uh, for my own podcast, This Ends at Prom, which is about teen movies. Uh, Juno is definitely one of those movies that we come back to as like, this is on like the the Mount Rushmore, so to speak, of the really, really good ones. Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of teen movies don't take teenagers seriously and Diablo Cody always did. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I guess before we get into like the nitty gritty of talking about each of these movies individually, do you think that there are any themes that Diablo Cody seems to be interested in as a storyteller that she like returns to in her work over and over again? I mean, she tends to have female protagonists um, and a lot of them are very, very complicated figures, but actual complicated. Not like, oh, this is a strong female character who happens to have one flaw. Like they're genuinely complicated people that you have to hold multiple truths with. And a lot of them are going through tumultuous tumultuous times in their lives and we get to see into the interior lives of how they're feeling this way how they got this way and what steps they're going to take to try to overcome it without ever sacrificing the core of who they are that Mm -hmm. is kind of a, a running theme throughout her work yeah, that's a really great uh, summation of the type of stuff that the, the types of stories that she likes to tell. Um, okay, I, I guess let's take a break and then we'll come back and get into the actual ranking. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Before we get into the ranking, let's I'll run through, I'm going to list the films in release order, and we'll talk about each one, and then we'll try to figure out a ranking at the end, so mm-hmm. uh, we don't have to sort of like do it on the fly. So we kick things off with Juno in 2007, uh, there's Jennifer's Body, which was 2009, uh, Young Adult, which came out in, let's see, what year was that? 2011. Uh, yes, 2011, and then there's something called Paradise, which I completely forgot about, and actually, um, you know, I, I forgot about when I was 
prepping you for what we were going to talk about on this episode, BJ. I forgot to include that. Uh, I just was looking at her IMDb page beforehand and realized that I forgot this one. And then I looked closely and I was like, wait a second, what is this? Like, I I totally missed that this movie even existed. Did you, have you ever seen Paradise? Do you know this one? Because this did not I have. She also directed this. This is her directorial debut. (laughs) Yeah, this one like completely fell through the cracks, uh, at least for me, who somebody who was paying attention to movies at the time, like this did not get nearly the amount of coverage as, you know, something like Young Adult or or Jennifer, even Jennifer's Body, which was like not really widely um, or, or well received at the time. Uh, I just feel like Paradise like completely slipped through the cracks. So I, I had no idea that this movie even existed uh, until <laughs> until right before we started recording today. Um, so that was 2013. And then there's uh, Ricky and the Flash, which was Jonathan Demme's last movie. She wrote that and that came out in 2015. And then uh, Tully uh, came out in 2018. And now Lisa Frankenstein. So um, you've already spoken a little bit about Juno, uh, BJ. I would just say like, my sort of broad thought about Diablo Cody is whenever I'm watching something that she's written, I know that I'm watching something that was written by somebody with a distinct POV, which is like not Mm -hmm. always the case. And yes, I may roll my eyes occasionally at some of the turns of phrase, but I would honestly prefer that 10 times out of 10 to, you know, just kind of bland, forgettable writing. Like it, it, she, Mm -hmm. she is such an exciting person in the world of movies to me because she feels like just that, an actual person who managed to somehow make it through the gauntlet of all of the the corporate bureaucracy, all of the studio nonsense, and actually somehow squeeze through this tiny, tiny gap and actually come out on the other end with a you know, a product, if you want to call it that, that actually has like a, a real voice to it, which is just very tough to do these days and probably much tougher. Uh, due to the fact that she's a woman, you know what I'm saying? So um, mm-hmm. I, I, I respect her work a lot more than I actually, uh, you know, I love or adore any of it. Um, I, I like several of these movies quite a lot, uh, but I'm, I would not say that like, you know, she's one of my gals in Hollywood or anything like mm-hmm. that. I just think that uh, she's just like a, a fascinating figure that I like to, um, I like to sort of study from afar. And I like that she is continuing to, make things. I, I'm glad that she wasn't just like a one and done filmmaker. And, you know, we're talking about the movies that she wrote today, but she's been a, a pretty significant force in the world of TV as well. I mean, she created at least two shows that I can think of, United States of Terra and uh, One Mississippi. I think she co-created that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's written a, a ton of TV. She's worked on Children's Hospital and a, a bunch of stuff. So um, I, I just like that she's floating around. So um yeah, my Juno thoughts are, uh, I, I haven't really, this was never really one of my movies. I, I watched it in 2007 when it came out. I enjoyed it. I haven't really gone back and, and rewatched it. My memories of it are that like Elliot Page was fantastic. And that was the first, one of the first big, big roles uh, that that I noticed them. And uh, I think they were in like, uh, what, X-Men, one of the early X-Men movies, X-Men 3 or something like that, right? But like, that was mm-hmm. a very small role. Uh, but I just remember thinking like, oh my God, like this character and the the um, blending of the, the very hyper-specific language, honest to blog and all that kind of stuff, uh, was just like a, a shot of lightning, you know, in, in the world of movies at the time. And it just, it feels singular even still. So um, I guess maybe this is a, a good place to talk about the teen speak that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? So Diablo Cody teen speak is something that I find to be one of like her peak pieces of 
absolute brilliance that when she was first kind of coming out of the scene with Juno and Jennifer's body, the back-to-back of two teen movies, there was a lot of people who criticized this language. Nobody talks this way. Why are all these characters talking this way? And the thing is, she's a genius for doing this because teen movies are nine times out of 10, also time capsule movies. They are trying to capture a specific time period then and now because they're trying to capture what is cool with teenagers at that time. And the thing is, language and fads and trends and all of these things, they evolve so quickly with teenagers. And it's even quicker than it ever was before now that we have the internet and we're all kind of sharing culture together. So things that I love about the language in Juno and Denver's body is that these teenagers talk in a way that is explicitly teenage sounding, but it is not locked into any specific slang terms that kids were actually using that are going to be out of fashion within like a year and immediately date the movie. So all of these films do end up having this kind of timeless feeling. Juno especially feels like very timeless. You can put that movie out and be like, this is, you know, 2007, or you can say this is 2024, and no one's going to question it either way because it doesn't feel locked into a time period. And I think that that's brilliant, especially with how how much faster language is evolving because usually... Think about like the slang terms that you used in high school. When did they stop being cool? When your parents started using them, if your parents knew what the words were. Well, guess what? All of our parents like of, you know, Gen Alpha, that generation, their parents, they're on TikTok. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. Their parents understand what words are at the same time and are going to use them a lot faster. So language evolves a lot faster. The only way to avoid that is to have a language that isn't locked. And Diablo Cody Teen Speak is not locked, but it also is unquestionably teenage. The example I use all the time is from Jennifer's Body, where Megan Fox's character says, you're jello, Chip, you're lime green jello. Because yeah, some, saying something like, oh, I'm jelly or you're jelly, we can infer that means jealous. But an adult, like an adult human is not going to say, wow, you're so jello of me right now. But a <laughs> right. teenager will, even though I probably don't know any teenagers actively saying you're jello, but I can put those things together and know, okay, this is a teenager. This is slang. I got it. But it also isn't going to be immediately dated, like say a movie like no shade but all the shade he's all that which feels like a teenage tiktok algorithm made a movie because everything was outdated by the time it even hit netflix yeah that's that's so that's such a smart observation bj i've never thought about that uh, in terms especially in terms of the diablo codiness of these scripts and stuff but yeah you're exactly right creating this heightened language uh does create this sort of timeless thing because it's it's this it, it puts the movies in a separate box and, and I never thought about that but that I think is a good reason why these movies tend to hold up a little bit better than some of their other contemporaries you know that came out at the same time so um, you mentioned Jennifer's body there that's the next one that we're going to talk about I watched this movie for the first time this morning BJ this has been oh my, on my god what a treat <laughs> for you it's been on my list of things to see for a long time um, you know I, I remember sort of the movie not particularly uh, resonating with people when it came out or not really like landing very loudly when it came out. And then I was, I've been slowly tracking this, um, this wave, I guess this, this uh, critical reappraisal wave of this movie over the past, I don't know, it's probably been a decade at this point, almost 15 it feels like years. 
Well, I mean, I mean the the wave, the, the people. Oh, the wave, yeah, definitely, definitely. Loudly, you know, people coming back and trying to reclaim this movie and saying it's actually a masterpiece and all this kind of stuff. Um, I kind of find myself thinking that like I'm not fully riding that wave. Like I don't know if I would call this a masterpiece. You're allowed but... to be wrong. It's okay. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, <laughs> but because uh, I I feel like that wave might be like just a teensy bit too strong. But there were so many things in this movie that I really really liked. I thought that. First of all, it's like so thematically rich. Like there are so many ways to read this or aspects to read into. Like it's about the dissolution of an unhealthy friendship and it's about the societal expectations that are placed on teen girls. And it's about consumption as a way to feel quote unquote normal. And like it's a commentary on the music industry, which I thought was hilarious because this was the MySpace era and things are so much worse now for musicians and artists than they were in 2009. The line that Adam Brody has when he's about to sacrifice her and is like, do you want to be working at this job or do you want to be really cool like the guy from Maroon 5? It's like, there's <laughs> no way you could have predicted how well that joke was going to age because <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> yeah. And then it's also kind of like, I feel like the movie is almost tapping into like that special quasi telepathic relationship that can happen sometimes between people who spend a lot of time together. Like I had friends in high school who uh, were not murderous, like the characters in Jennifer's body, but like the, the dynamic between Amanda Seyfried and, and uh, Megan Fox in that movie, like where they kind of, uh, one of them almost like senses where the other one is. Like I had friends that, that behaved that way that were so like, tuned into each other's frequencies, if you want to call it that, um, that, that, um, I guess that part of the movie really rang true to me, even if, you know, some of the more like heightened horror elements obviously, uh, are not really, or should not really be relatable to any human being who's living on this planet. But, um, anyway, yeah, I just thought that there was a lot to chew on, uh, I guess pun intended for, for this movie. Um, but I, I don't know, there, there were some, like some of the, uh, the action elements or some of the, the horror elements I thought like, maybe just didn't quite come together for me fully, but I just really liked uh, what the movie was trying to say. So uh, what are your Jennifer's body thoughts? So, I mean, not to shameless plug, but the day that we're recording this, uh, my podcast did do a 15 years of Jennifer's body episode that dropped. It is our second time talking about the movie because even in the three years since we did our first episode, so much of the reclamation of this film has, has changed even then. Um, Jennifer's body is a movie that I was very into when it came out, but it came out in 2009, which was when I was first kind of getting, you know, my feet wet in the world of film criticism. Specifically, I cut my teeth in horror, and 2009 was not a great time to be a woman on the internet. Um, it was like horrible. It was horrible. Um, mm-hmm. And the only way to have any sort of credibility was to be what I like to call the hashtag not like most girls, which was that you had to kind of be a part of the boys club and like the stuff that they liked. And if you didn't, then you were completely gate kept out. So I distinctly remember reviewing Jennifer's body in 2009 and opening it with like, can you believe it? I actually liked this movie. Oh my God. And so my seeing the reclamation of Jennifer's body has also been extremely healing for me as somebody who always loved this movie, but like socially was not able to express that because it was such a toxic time to be a woman in horror. Mm -hmm. And so this movie 
just speaks to me on so many levels. Like you said, the toxic friendship, all of these things. But there is also this inherent queerness that's running throughout the film. And the problem, the reason this movie didn't hit when it did was because it was so horrifically mismarketed. It was marketed by the studio to appeal to teenage boys because Megan Fox is hot. Like, she just is. And so they marketed this movie as, oh my god, look how hot Megan Fox is. Megan Fox is gonna make out with a girl in this movie. So then all of these horny teenage boys showed up, and then the movie is not actually about that, and they hated it. And because it was marketed this way, the audience that should have resonated with this movie, the umbrella of girls, gays, and theys, didn't seek out this movie because we all thought it was gonna be this weird, like, perv sesh. And Mm -hmm. it's not. It's brilliant and i like this movie lives in my bones um i have posted this in numerous slash film articles i think the expression hell is a teenage girl i have written in more articles than any other thing i've ever talked about because it's ever present i can use it for this i can use it for yellow jackets which you know karin kasama who directed this also directed a bunch of yellow jackets i talk about that expression so much like if if i don't have it tattooed in my body by the time i die something's seriously wrong um I love this movie and I love how singular it is in its vision of like either you get this movie and you love this movie or you don't. And if you don't, fine, it's not for you. And Mm -hmm. I love movies that exist in that world because we are in such a gross, like four quadrant appealing, sanitized, toothless, gutless landscape. So to have a movie that genuinely does not care whether or not you like it uh, earns extra points for me. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so Young Adult is the next one. This came out in 2011. Jason Reitman, uh, who I don't know if we mentioned, uh, also directed Juno. So it's a reunion for Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman. Um, this one stars uh, Char- uh, Charlize Theron. And um, I-, I remember feeling kind of like complicated about this movie or like mixed on this movie uh, at the time. Like the, I think I like it more now than I did in 2011. I, I I don't know. I guess maybe it's just because I'm older and I can appreciate different different aspects of filmmaking now than I did, you know, whatever, more than a decade ago. Um, but I think the uh, the prickliness of Charlize's character, which is, of course, the point of the entire movie, um, was <laughs> like, I, 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 th- I remember thinking like, man, this character is just like a little much and like maybe a little too much. And like, once again, in hindsight, like, Yes, you moron. That is what this movie is about. Um, so uh, I just like, I don't know, I, I was not clicking with this one uh, at, at the time, but I think I, I definitely appreciate more what it was going for. And I feel, I feel like this is maybe the movie that um, encapsulates that uh, the um, unifying theory of Diablo Cody that you laid out earlier in terms of like writing uh, complicated protagonists or, or uh, characters in these stories, especially women, and having these characters actually feel like human beings instead of, um, you know, collections of, uh, of script notes from executives or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So um, mm-hmm. I think this is the one that's like, uh, maybe the most complicated female character that she's written, um, and or, or at least like the most like, uh, overtly complicated. Um, and that that's like, to center a movie around that is kind of a... Uh, an act of bravery, especially in 2011. And I'm, I'm kind of like surprised that this movie made any money just because it doesn't seem like culturally people were uh, ready to accept something like that. So uh, I don't know. What do you think about young adult looking back on it, you know, now? Yeah, this is definitely a movie that I went on a journey with because I was 
2021 when this came out. And so this sort of character and this journey that she's going on was a little alien to me at the time because I hadn't been there yet. I was kind of just starting my adulthood. Um, But I revisited it a couple years ago and I was just so blown away by how much, uh, specifically like Mavis Gary and that character, that's one that Shirley's throne plays, um, how how her prickliness like feels weirdly comforting because I think especially as you know anybody who's socialized as a woman in this world there are so many ways that you are taught you have to behave and to see a character just be so willing to accept like sometimes I suck um is so comforting um (laughs) in a very very weird way um but also this idea of you know being in your late 30s and having to start over again I think is becoming a lot more commonplace because our economy is garbage and it's weird like how ahead of how ahead of things Diablo Cody tends to be with a lot of her writing because this movie feels like something that somebody would be making now to be like, hey, the world's terrible and everyone is having to move back in with their parents and go back to their small towns. We should write about that. And she was doing it in 2011. Um, yeah, this yeah. honestly feels like a like a, a Netflix prestige drama type of thing, you know, that, yeah, that could have come really out last does. year. Yeah. yeah, it really does. I, I quite like this movie a lot. And I think that the... The, the relationship between Diablo Cody and Charlize Theron is one that I would like to see more of, which we'll talk about in another movie. But like, yeah. it's a great combination. She is also somebody who can handle her specific type of language. Yeah. And shout out to uh, both Patton Oswalt and Patrick Wilson, who I remember being very, very good in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so that is Young Adult. And then uh, Paradise. Yeah, I, I, I've never seen this. I got to say, BJ, I'm... You know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit because I, I want to put this uh, last in our ranking, not because I haven't seen it, but because the poster is one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> like if you look at the poster for this movie on IMDb, uh, it has a picture of Nick Offerman on it and it is deeply, deeply disturbing. So um, maybe I'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, so people can see what I'm talking about. But um, tell me about the actual movie Paradise. What what did you think of it? So I don't like this movie. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> So this would this is my least favorite of them and I can't figure out what went wrong here because I do think that what so what the story is about is very much about how um you know there's a, a a woman her name is lamb and she's played by julian huff um and i am not super on board with julian huff as an actress i don't think she can handle this material so i think that might be the problem that i have with it but you know she's going to vegas going to like indulge do you know all these things that she's you know never really done before um but also like russell brand is here and like he gets go home heat from me like i he's like he shows up on my screen and i start barking like a dog like get off my screen like so <laughs> i don't like him here um but there's a lot of stuff happening at once in this movie um like a lot of it (laughs) and it feels like it's an oops all choices kind of movie (laughs) so it doesn't fully work for me but i do think that diablo cody has really strong like instincts as a director 
but I fear that because this movie is not super great and it was not well received that um, people are going to never have her direct again. But then again, she might not actually want to direct again. This might have just been like a, hey, let me, you know, give this a whirl and didn't like it. And that's why she hasn't done it again. And if so, that's fine, because I like the scripts that she made after this movie a whole lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, so speaking of the things she made next, uh, Ricky and the Flash, uh, Jonathan Demme's final movie, I believe. Um, I never saw this one either, BJ. I feel bad about trying to have this conversation today without having seen a couple of these movies. But um, I I just I missed this one. Uh, Meryl Streep as a rock star. uh, I remember not really buying into that at the time, even though it was Demi who was like this, you know, uh, iconic filmmaker. Um, And I just never got around to to catching up with it. So um, have you seen this? And what do you make of Ricky and the Flash now? Ricky and the Flash is super underrated as far as I'm concerned, because a lot of Diablo Cody's movies, even the ones like Jennifer's Body that were not hits when they came out have been reclaimed I'm waiting for the Ricky in the Flash reclamation because I think it's exactly what you're saying like a lot of people could not buy into the idea of like Meryl Streep being this like rock star character but there is a patheticness of uh, this character that gets completely lost from like the way the marketing was or people who haven't watched it because this is not about like you know like oh Meryl Streep's the biggest rock star in the world it's like somebody who's kind of terrible um, mm. <laughs> because she's a rock star in the sense that like, she's playing like bar, she's a bar band rock star. She's not like a superstar. Oh, okay. And so these sorts of characters I quite enjoy because my parents are not rock star people, but like they hang out with these people. Um, <laughs> so this, uh, this also feels like a nice, like little, little comforting moment here. But I think that this is one of like Meryl Streep's underrated performances too. Um, She's great in this movie. I think it's, I think there's a lot of really good stuff going on here about like aging and like, you know, when are you supposed to give up on your dreams or how many dreams have to be sacrificed when you have a family, like in responsibility and juggling these things. I think there's a lot of like meaty stuff going on here. And it's a shame that not as many people have seen it. Okay. All right. Well, I'll have to add this to my list then. Uh, the next one is Tully from 2018. This is a, another reunion with Jason Reitman and uh, a reunion with Charlize Theron. And um, this one, I think, is divisive because of the the reveal in this movie. So I feel like we we kind of have to talk about that, right, to mm-hmm. to at least uh, get into it here. So, so if you've not seen Tully, um, I would say at least fast forward like a couple minutes. Um, but the reveal, BJ, that uh, Mackenzie Davis's character is basically like the my memory of it is that she's she doesn't exist right like she's a she's a figment of Charlize's character's imagination is that correct yeah she's herself but younger yes yes uh so I I feel like that um divided audiences like you're either on board with that or you're kind of like oh man it's one of these kind of movies I don't know about this so what side of that fence did you fall on oh I'm so on board with this I am so so on board with this um we talk so much as a culture at least in the last couple of years about the idea of like healing your inner child and we often forget that that also means healing your inner teenager healing your inner early 20 something forgiving yourself for the person that you've become giving grace to the person that you once were and sometimes that means like holding on to that person with both hands and hugging them and loving them and appreciating them because that's the only way you're going to heal who you are 
now. And so to see that personified, oh, I was a mess in the theater. I was crying my eyes out. I love this movie. I love that twist. I love the way that Mackenzie Davis also like looks at Shirley's throne in this because it's the same way that like you have that young optimism of this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. Um, it's God, I love this movie. And I get why people aren't on board. I get it. I do. I'm just not that person. Okay. Uh, I remember this LA Times um, quote from uh, Jason Reitman about this movie. Uh, I don't remember. And I'll walk around thinking about it all the time. I found it uh, doing research for this episode. But um, he said that uh, Juno is about being prematurely thrust into adulthood. Young adult is about resisting adulthood. And Tully is about finding grace and acceptance in midlife, which I thought was uh, a nice encapsulation of sort of like my feeling about this idea or feeling about this movie, the idea of finding grace and, and sort of like giving yourself um, a little bit of, a, you know, breathing room and, and saying like, hey, it's okay. Like, I don't have to have all the answers right now, uh, regardless of what age you are, you know? So um, yeah, I think there's like a, there's a humanity to this movie that, uh, that I think, I think maybe puts it a little bit above young adult for me because of that prickliness that I was talking about before. I feel like the mm-hmm. humanity of Tully like shines through just a little bit more, but um, yeah. So I, I guess that's a good uh, segue into like trying to figure out a ranking for these, or at least a temporary one for the purposes of this episode. Uh, so what do you think it'd be, Jay? I'll, I'll just like step back and let you go and, and, and <laughs> we'll see if I uh, agree or disagree or try to like reorder any of the stuff. Okay, so yeah, this is like very, very difficult because there's movies that I just like I love so much that I like can't function and then movies that I'm not super as in love with. So if if I had to, this is my my personal, is that Ricky and the Flash would be at five, Young Adult would be at four, Juno would be at three, Jennifer's body would be at two and Tully would be at one. That is my five because I understand. And, and Paradise would be Paradise isn't Ricky and the Flash. Parad- we're just, this is one of those instances where it's like we're doing a top five list and we're just going to pretend that six doesn't exist uh, because I don't think anybody who worked on that movie wants anyone looking it up anyway either. Um, so I think they'd be cool with it not even being there. <laughs> okay. So so let me make sure I got this right. So you're saying Jennifer's body is number one. And then no, it's, I'm putting Jennifer's body at two. I'm putting Tully at one. Ah, Tully at one. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Jennifer's body at two. I'm writing this out so I can visualize it. Uh, and then Juno at three, Young mm-hmm. Adult at four, Rick and the Flash at five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know what? I hmm, I I feel like I would personally put Juno above Jennifer's body, but I know how much that movie means to you. So I think for the purposes of this list, we can just call that uh, a compromise because I think I'm I'm close enough with you on all the others that like. Yeah, I, I can definitely live with that. So let's let's do that. Uh, let's put a stamp on Amazing. it. Amazing. Call this a podcast. So. I I love it. And 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 again, like all of these movies are movies that I love dearly. And like choosing between Juno and Jennifer's body is like asking me to choose between children. Um, I don't have children, but if I did, these are my children. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, I think we've done it. And uh, yeah, the plan as of right now is for you and I to get back together. This is going to be the third time you're on the podcast in a week, BJ. I love it. Um, tomorrow to do uh, a spoiler conversation about Lisa Frankenstein. And then we'll slot that movie in somewhere uh, of this, this ranking that we've concocted here today. So, 
stay tuned for that. You can find more about all of the movies that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. I will link to a few things in the show notes as well, including the god-awful poster for Paradise, which I encourage everybody to check out. It's really quite something. <laughs> uh, sorry to Nick Offerman. Um, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate the show on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.